Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Jordan trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! Against Gil, the crowd on its feet. Allen for the win! To the Sneaker History Podcast. What up, what up? Welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name is Nick Engvall. I'm with my guys, Robbie Falke and Mike Guillory, to talk about, I guess, the thing that everybody is talking about right now. Um, Going to get into the last dance. What's going on, guys? How you doing? How's your, uh, how's your stay-at-home time going this week? Still going, man. And when you said that, I swear it's like we're watching the NBA Finals for 2020 right now. We all know the endings of these games, but we're everyone's watching this documentary, like grasping on to any little hope of sports we can get. And it's, I'm one of those people. So. Watching sports news today really made me realize why this debuted. It's because there's no sports and they need another reason to talk about why Michael Jordan's better than LeBron. It's like there's nothing to talk. There's nothing. So I was like, all right, bring bring out the MJ footage. It's time. <laughs> I know they're supposed to do it later, so they're going to do it anyway. But it's just literally Stephen A. Smith, um, Colin Cowherd, uh, Skip Bayless. It's just like MJ story time now for the next five weeks. Yeah. It's sad in one sense because we don't have sports, but it's also, it makes total sense on all aspects, right? Where Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm over here watching old giants games and scouring through like the YouTube footage of, of, you know, like as much like old nineties basketball as I can just kind of looking at like interesting, like sneakers and stuff. But it it is really interesting the timing of it. I mean, it, it would have been successful either way, but um, I guess before we get too too much further into that, I wanted to read a review as we usually do. Um, if you got a second, head over to iTunes, drop us a review. We're a couple away from from the magic uh, triple digits, but our latest review comes from King Malhotra. Great stuff. Very interesting for sneakerheads and non sneakerheads alike. Appreciate the review. Uh, we're so close to 100. I think it would be super dope to get 100. But I also think that people are uh, people are watching a little more YouTube and a little more Netflix right now than they are listening to podcasts. So it might might take us a little while. But if you got a minute, head over to iTunes, leave us a review. Just just give us feedback, good or bad. We just want to want to know how you feel about the podcast. So yeah, just tell us you love us. That's all we want to hear. Is it? <laughs> Maybe we'll even record a really fun commercial that'll trip with your mind like that Kenny Main commercial. I don't know if anybody else caught that, the State Farm Kenny Main commercial. Yeah. We'll yeah. Do that. 
Well, this thing's special for you. Before we get into details on the first couple episodes of The Last Dance, did you guys expect a shock drop for the Jordan 5s? Uh, I didn't expect the five. I thought it was going to be something even more random, like they drop like a, a last shot 14, just some back stock they had sitting in the factory. But uh, nonetheless, I sadly missed it. I kept getting an error message. My brother thought he had them in his cart for me, but he went to check out error message. And uh, just a sad cycle, you know, sad, vicious cycle. I totally thought it was going to be a backlog thing where we got like, he got game 13s or um, in a perfect universe concords. But, uh, but no, I, d- I definitely did not see the five. But it's funny because like Fomer and a lot of people have had the shoes for a minute. So it's like they're definitely ready to go. So mm-hmm. I was surprised, but yet not very surprised. I guess I was like hoping for something crazy like he got games, last shots, something like that. Although I don't know that I would have picked up anything. Um, it would have just been cool to see stuff that aligned with it. I also saw somebody put something on Twitter or Instagram that said, how would you expect them to have all that stuff ready when this documentary got pushed up a month or month and a half, whatever. So that was kind of interesting, but I was totally not paying attention and completely missed any and all notifications or mentions of the five until I saw it on Twitter. And by that time it was just too late. So like one said, I think Drake said it for the first time ever in existence, right? If you're reading this, it's too late. <laughs> it, that's exactly how I felt. Um, but do you guys think they're going to do more of these? I mean, I know it would be way too much to hope that every week they drop something different. You know, you know, you got concourse sitting around. They got they got playoff 11 sitting around. There, there's stuff there. Man, that would be so crazy. I mean, I don't want to really buy anything, but I would like the option to make that poor choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That today, like the Jordan 1.5 has like skyrocketed on GOAT because people are trying to like buy up Jordans after watching the documentary. But dude, I, I need it's going to go offload some shit, apparently. And just like know off my Jordans. Dude, Pippins are the same way right now. Um, I, I mean, of course, the up-tempo has always been a good seller, so it always had a decent price, but, dude, the up, up-tempo 90, you know, was it 97, the 90, uh, was it 98, whatever it is, the the ones, the Kith did the, um, the Kith did the uh, collaboration with the Pippin ones, the, everything has had a significant increase on GOAT right now. So, I mean, if you got Pippins right now, you're not wearing them. Go ahead and get them out of there. Pop your cherry? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But the only ones that have dropped in value are the USA up-tempos because they're going to – they dropped mistakenly. I was watching uh, one of Nightwing's videos. They dropped mistakenly or maybe on purpose at a store called Phenom, and they're supposed to be coming back champs just – put the advertisement on their Instagram. As soon as they put that advertisement up, the price dropped about 20, 30 bucks. So the 2020 uh, up-tempo, the air on the side is looking about, uh, averaging about 190 on GOAT right now. Man, that's crazy. It's crazy that a documentary, you know, that 
can capture so many people's attention that it, it actually impacts the price of sneakers. But I guess that's kind of the the new world that we live in right now. I guess so, man. I thought sneakers were going to go down in price. Clearly, I was wrong. <laughs> so I guess we just jump right into it, right? Like we're two episodes in, got four more weeks, five more, four more weeks to go with this, I guess. What's your, uh, let's, let's start out with, uh, a super basic on a scale of one to 10. How do you rate? how do you rate the first two episodes? Um, I rated a seven and a half right now. Only reason being that it was a lot of Michael Jordan back history that I think all of us, I don't say everybody, but majority of people knew, but I feel like that, you know, it's going to hit that 10 spot soon. Once we start digging into the season, once we can start getting some more Rodman stories, uh, I will say the Pippen episode was way better. I didn't know any of that stuff about Pippen. And out of the two, the second was better. I'm going to go with a number that Jordan fans love to just throw out there all the time. Six. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was good. Um, I also, and I think I enjoyed the Scotty episode more, but um, just, I wasn't so interested in, the UNC basically, I wasn't so interested in the backtracking on Michael Jordan outside of the Celtic series, um, just because personally I'm familiar with that time, so it wasn't anything new um, to me. But for a wider audience, it's great to tell that kind of story. Basically, what it comes down to is if you're like super duper duper into sports and Michael Jordan, you're either going to be giving this a ten or you're going to be more like me and a little more cynical where you feel like you enjoyed the story and you liked it the way it was presented, but through two episodes, and that's an important distinction we need to make through two, um, nothing new. Nick, what you think, man? How'd you like it? Uh, I'd give the first episode probably like a seven, seven and a half. Mm-hmm. I'd give the second episode probably a nine. So I, I like the nostalgia. I like the, you know, the right writing home to moms from from college, because for me, like that's an important piece to the story, thinking about the way a lot of people don't know Michael Jordan right now. Right. Um, yeah. And if you didn't see Michael Jordan growing up, you know, that's an important way to kind of at least make him human because the thing about Jordan is he was so damn good that, I mean, you saw it like what he, I think they say game three or game four against the bucks. And he brings them back from what? 16 points or something Mm -hmm. it's almost like if you if you just jumped into his story you know or you know obviously they're going to stay as as close to 97 98 but to give a little background on the guys will be super important to kind of show their personalities i i think and i think like the the thing that's really interesting to me is someone who like like robbie knows most of this stuff there has been a few moments where it's like oh i didn't remember that or I don't remember seeing that or hearing that story or whatever. Um, And like you said about Pippen, them going that, that deep into Pippen, you know, I I knew most of like, I knew the story of his brother. I knew the story of his dad. I knew most of it collectively, but I never heard it from him. I never heard it in that way. 
and, and, you know, to me that kind of, it kind of solidifies Scotty as, you know, the, you know, as the, like the reliable, you know, you know, second man, right? Like he's the guy Mm -hmm. that's taking care of his family. He's the guy that's, you know, basically holding everybody together, uh, you know, with the bulls in a sense where, you know, the, the craziest thing about that whole episode was the stats that they threw up where he's second in scoring, second in rebounding, first in assists, first in steals, sixth in pay on the team and 122nd in pay on the, in the league. Highway robbery. Man. I think he's equivalent to, let's say, Andre Roberson now. He's 120th in pay right now. I'm like, that makes no sense. No offense, Andre, but uh, Scotty Pippen, let's say he was, what, top three, top top five in the league at that point? Oh, yeah. I, I would say he's – I mean, most people are going to get discount Scotty because he played with, with Jordan Wright, but I think, mm-hmm. you know – Top ten. Yeah, everybody could agree on top ten, right? Like nobody should right. say that Scotty's less than you know a, a top ten player. Hundred percent agree. Only argument here. You brought up a really good point of like before Michael Jordan, like the the coming of age aspect of it. That was cool, and they brought up a really um, fun line where it was like when he was still Mike Jordan, not Michael Jordan. Yeah, and that I thought was really good. That yeah. was really good, and the letter to mom was really cool. I mean, I obviously, I obviously don't know every story, anecdote. Like, I didn't know his. Um, I knew that you know he had a difficult relationship with his dad when he was young, but I didn't know that about his brothers and about his brother and his dad's relationship. And um, I always kind of felt like they touted MJ as um, like an underdog going into UNC, um, mm-hmm. like the camp stuff and how they knew he was the guy, um, you know, through like those UNC camps, like that was interesting. Like the, for as much as I want it to be about the 98 bulls, I really did enjoy how they framed young Mike. Yeah. And there wasn't anything bad about it. I think it's one of the things. So to put it in the, the way my mind works is that when we get a Batman movie, we see, Batman's parents die in the beginning of every movie. We get a Spider-Man movie. We see Uncle Ben die. I feel like it was the same thing. Every time we talk about Michael Jordan, we go back to the same story, which, again, Nick makes a good point. People who don't know who just kind of jumped into the, to like the hype train that just sucked everybody in for this documentary, it's good for them to understand who this person is and where they came from, again, how that mentality built. But I think I've seen the story so many times. And, yeah, those little things like the story to mom, the, the – uh, relationship with his dad, his brother. I mean, I, I think they add a great piece to Michael Jordan's mentality. I think they could have put those tidbits in, but just like Robbie said, they're going backwards so much. I, I like to see, hey, you know, the reason he felt like this is because his relationship with his dad, as opposed to having to keep going back to, oh, he got cut from the Lanny squad. He came back and just dominated everyone and got to UNC so on and so forth. I think there was, might've been a better way and more creative way to tell that part of the story again. Yeah. So I, I thought that the, like, obviously those are the stories that everybody's familiar with, you know, it helps that like, you know, the Jordan brand has, has pushed out the Laney, you know, shoes and, and told those stories in their way. I thought it was really interesting, you know, that they, and, and maybe I like, 
I guess I'm kind of agreeing with you, Mike. I think they could have gone a little bit maybe further into his personality, into his drive. I mean, obviously, they touch on it. They touch on him. You know, like you could see he gets emotional talking about wanting the approval from his dad and, you know, having to, to, to play his older brothers and, and, you know, you know, always losing and, and all of that. And to me, like, I, I resonate with that, like kind of chip on your shoulder mentality, right? Like this is why like Allen Iverson will forever be the best player to me because he's absolutely not supposed to be there. And with Jordan, it's interesting because he really had all that from a very, very young age, right? Like he had the older brothers that were like, no, you don't belong. He had the dad that was literally like, go back in the house with your mom. Like, like that kind of stuff is like very, like he said, is very traumatic. And that was such a short piece of the overall framing of his kind of childhood and um, introduction into sports and the struggles. And, and like, honestly, like I, I, I love MJ. I I'm thankful that, you know, I grew up in a time that I got to watch all this stuff real time. And obviously being somebody that's worked in the sneaker business for so long, most of what I've been able to do would not exist without him and his success. But I always wish that he would go a little bit further into those stories because it's kind of like, you know, you see him like really, I don't know what the, the, the right way to say it is, but it's almost like he's dismissive of those things in most of these kind of documentaries that you see. And I personally think that it's much more important to kind of understand the human being behind the superstar to understand why he's like that, right? Like why, why did he have the drive to be so competitive? Why, how did he have the foresight at 20 years old to walk into that hotel room with the whole team doing lines of Coke and smoking weed and, you know, women. And he says, nah, I got to get out of here before he even enters. Like those types of things are really poignant in stories to me. And I think that they should have, they should have been highlighted a little bit more. I also think there's a really interesting thing that like, I know Michael Jordan always kind of shies away from being a being an advocate for anything that is potentially controversial right he he's very good at kind of towing the line as to like you know he he i think he understands like not to ruffle feathers in a sense that like everybody could be your customer buying your shoes and the fact that they kind of dismiss some of those early stories that you know could have been a little bit crazier and they dismiss his kind of like struggle as like a young teen. And then they like quickly, you know, blaze past the racism that he dealt with because all of those things are things that give you like purpose. And to me, like, I hope at some point with, you know, I don't know that it will happen with this documentary, but I hope at some point you, you see, uh, you know, Michael going back into like, like Robbie said, I hope Michael goes back to being Mike at some point and you get to really understand him on a deeper personal level, right? Because as much as I'm enjoying this show, I feel like we're in a different place of growth for human beings. I feel like there's a reason that, you know, the Oprah's of the world and, you know, the, I don't know, like, 
the Tim Ferrises and Rich Rolls and all these people that are very about very much about like you know self improvement and and looking and reflecting on themselves. I think that stuff would resonate with so many people because if you could understand how you know the greatest athlete ever, arguably, um, could you know go from where he was as a teenager into becoming this athlete and understanding that psychologically that's an that's a fascinating thing to me and i know that's that's deeper than you know talking about basketball and sneakers but to me that's like you're seeing glimpses of it so you know that it exists and that just makes it even more intriguing for me so like the glimpses i think they stay that small because michael jordan i my gut reaction was to say needs his protective veil of being the best ever and being infallible and untouchable. That's part of what makes Michael Jordan and what makes his legacy so strong and bulletproof to a lot of people. In the documentary, they said he's competing against Muhammad Ali and Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan. Like that's, that's the level of athlete he was compared to. So we have to kind of remember this is the last dance, not Michael Jordan is mortal. The documentary. So true, true. For one of many times tonight of me bringing up LeBron, I think that's what makes LeBron so different is because we we've seen him, you know, positive and negative speak out or not speak out on things. We've seen him do stuff um, that wasn't always so favorable to how the media will perceive it. And Michael Jordan all of that was swept under the, the rug, I feel like, in, in retrospect. And the things underneath the rug, I'm hoping, get lifted up and aired out, you know, in episodes three, four, and, and beyond. I, I hope they open up the, the Michael Jordan is mortal part of it a little more than I think they will. Yeah, me too. And, and you make a great point about, you know, the LeBron conversation, right? And I think that's, I think that's like, super obvious that MJ has always had that like sweep it under the rug mentality. Even when, even when they're asking him about Scottie Pippen's situation, the three times I think that I saw that I saw him being asked by a reporter about a particular thing that either Scotty said or something about his contract or his demanding a trade. Michael just says, you better ask Scotty about that. I don't have anything to say about it. And it's interesting because on one hand, as as friends, I respect that so much, right? Like somebody asked me about your guys's business, like it's not their business. On the other hand, as a fan of the game where like it's so public and all this stuff is talked about. And I mean, I rem- I was one of those people that was just addicted to sports center at that time, trying to understand like what's going on with the bulls, right? Like, because even if you didn't think Michael Jordan was the greatest of all time, you wanted to watch him. Like that's the thing to me that chain that, that separates him. It's not the six rings. It's not his accomplishments on the court, but like, you just wanted to watch it. You wanted to experience him. And you have that with, with LeBron. You have that with Kobe. You have that with a, a handful of guys throughout the years, but not to the level, in my opinion, that I've seen. And that's the interesting thing to me about 
the the kind of comparison conversations and you know on the same on the flip side of that i absolutely love lebron because of what he stands for i may not agree with 100% of the things that he says or does but he he almost always will voice his opinion and even when he doesn't it's it's made very apparent that he's not voicing his opinion because of whatever reasons. And I respect that too. So it's, it's, it's an interesting comparison. Yeah. I mean, you guys pretty much hit every nail on the head though with this. I mean, Michael Jordan had a mystique about, about him and around him. So I mean, it just comes down to the type of media there was because back then, as you saw in, in, in the documentaries that if he didn't want to answer a question, he just gave his answer. Hey, go ask Scotty about that. Or I don't have an opinion about that. In today's world, of course, people, are, I feel like, are a little bit more outspoken because they have so many different outlets. I mean, whether it be LeBron, whether it be you know, D-Wade, whoever it may be, has a platform to talk on their own as opposed to being asked by reporters. They'll go sit on their own, you know, use their own free will and type out, you know, something on Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. And that's the people will jump all over that. Oh, that's their opinion. That's this, that, and the other, which just like Nick said, it's great that we get to know them more. We may not agree with everything they say, but it's great to get to know that side. So I think that's kind of more of what I'm waiting for in this documentary, because at this point we see a little bit more Jordan. I, I didn't know the way he felt about the, the GM at that point, And I didn't know the way they basically just gave this dude the business on a daily basis uh, I think Scotty probably a little bit more bolder than MJ, but MJ definitely got his digs in, and they were they were pretty rough. So we're going to see a different side. And even MJ, I, I think there was a quote from him saying, "You're I can't remember the exact wording, but basically it's like, oh, people aren't going to like the person they see when they see the documentary. So he gave everybody fair warning. So I just want to see, just like Robbie said, let's, let's lift up that rug and see what's, what's been swept over there for 20 years. So, I mean – we're all right with how Michael doesn't, he's not a vocal leader. He's not a headline kind of guy when he was playing. He let his game make the highlights. Yep. And I thought that was really cool. And the mentality everybody needs to have, whether they're going for a new job position or they're trying to be valedictorian or just better, whatever you're trying to do. Go in there day one, recognize you're the new guy and that you're probably not going to have a voice, but your work and your output is going to be way louder than a voice. And his teammates understood quickly, not by him saying he's the best. He didn't go the Kobe Bryant route saying, yeah, I'm going to be the best player of all time. I'm sure Michael said that to many people when he was very young, but from a team perspective and a leader, a leadership perspective, he was all about business. And if you weren't about the end goal of winning, kind of going back to that Bucks game, if you're not going to be a part of winning, he doesn't want anything to do with you. So for as much as we want him to be more vocal, there has never been anybody better. Maybe, the, maybe Tim Duncan, right? Who's been silent, <laughs> silent but just, um, I mean, he's going to talk, he's going he's to take his jabs and he's going to call you a weak little B on defense, but he let his game talk, man. And 
LeBron so often gets talked about how like, oh, he's too emotional or um, he likes to play mind games and be like passive aggressive. That is a knock against LeBron. And, and those are all very valid. But Michael, it just shows how very different and how forever different their leadership style and play style is. Just it was so cool to see his teammates recognize, oh, shit, okay, he's the best one here. We're scrubs. And he's he's the leader. That was maybe like my second favorite part behind the Mike Jordan aspects. Yeah, I think that's fascinating because, you know, obviously there's plenty of different types of leadership. And I think that, you know, I forget the exact quote, but, you know, the LeBron, uh, you know, if you fall down, let your brothers come pick you up kind of mentality. Right. I, I think that for me, the trade-off of, I guess, let me, let me rephrase this. My question for everybody listening and for you guys, you see Michael kind of coming into this like asshole mentality, right? In, in, you know, early 97, 98 season when Scotty's out. If you've already seen Michael, you know, win five titles with the Bulls and you're on that team, does, you know, putting up with him in that way or, you know, having him, quote, motivate you in in that way, make it unbearable? Or do you know that like, hey, the odds of me winning a title with this guy on my team are so good that I don't want to walk away from it. Like, I wonder which side people fall on with that because, you know, and the reason why I ask that is because there's obviously, there's obviously a lot of talk nowadays about like kids not wanting to work hard and like all that, you know, BS where it's like, I don't believe that at all. I think that like, you know, I think the youngest generation, the younger generations are absolutely smarter than me. And likewise, you know, I am more intelligent maybe than the older generation. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. It's just that technology has evolved to where we have access to things that give us a, an advantage where you had to do certain things that you don't have to do now. And likewise, I had to do certain things that you wouldn't have to do if you were, you know, 15, 18 years old now. So in, in a sense, like, like I asked that because there's so much conversation around, you know, the, the, um, millennials and, and work ethics and all these things. And it's like, well, yeah, but to me, I look at it and I'm like, if I had the option to still win and not be involved, but not deal with somebody that's an asshole like that, of course, like I would choose to go, you know, play someplace else. But at the same time, even though like I'm a very stubborn person and I don't have the patience for people being jerks to anybody, if you already know that that person's won five titles, do you want to do it just to win the title? Because I think about that with like, you know, sports is a little bit different of a beast where you'll put up with a lot more because there's a lot more at stake, right? Whether that's, you know, fame or money or, you know, winning or success and whatever you, however you define it. But do you guys think that you personally would like, be offended by Michael being that way? Cause I think, I feel like 
you know that that's how he is regardless. Yeah. And I think there's levels to it. So, so first kind of starting with the people talking about, oh, millennials are a hard worker. I don't think it's not that they're not hard workers. I think there is a, a bit of a coddling going on. This is, I don't want to go too far on a side tangent, but people don't like tough love anymore. They get really offended. But I myself, like when I played sports or even like in, when I was in college and like the workforce, if someone's being hard on me like that, but they have a purpose and they're teaching me, I'm 100% for it because that means that they want, not only do they want to succeed, but they want to like bring you along to succeed with them. It's not just I'm yelling at you for the heck of it. Now, that, that person, no, I don't want to be a part of that. But if you're just showing me just like, hey, here's this is like, you know, this is just tough love. You're going to learn this, blah, blah, blah. I'm all for that. And that's what I mean. Kind of see what Michael Jordan was doing. He's like, look, Scotty's out this is all on me, but it doesn't have to be like, he's like, I can do it, but I have all of you here. You all are capable. And you can see it when he's yelling at harp, when he's yelling at coach in that practice, like they're all just kind of shaking their head, nodding in agreeance. No one was arguing back with him because they knew that he was trying to push them to be better as opposed to just being like, Hey, we won one title, this one, one off. And you know, this guy to know what you talk about. So I can, I could snap back at him. They knew he was the vocal leader of the team there. They knew what was happening, what was at stake as well. So I think it's a lot about situation. And then again, what was MJ's purpose? Or in this case, like, what was that person's purpose of being that hard on you? So me personally, yeah, I I actually gravitate towards those people because I know they want the best for the group and not just the silent person just trying to do it themselves. Yeah, I mean, for me, you have to know that you're a crewman joining a ship. And Michael Jordan is a very particular type of captain. So if you don't like the way he runs that ship, get your ass off the boat. So for me, kind of like what Mike said, if there's a purpose to it, I'm very, I'm much more inclined to be receptive to your, your tough love or your your brash ways. But if you're just being a butthead to be a butthead, then I don't think anybody responds very well to that. But Ron Harper, just to keep using that example, like you, you've played against Jordan, you know what he's like. You, you have to take that. And you shouldn't have signed that contract if you didn't want to be around it. Five championships kind of proves its own kind of point. But yeah, that, that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. If we're if we're off of that boat, well, Nick, did you kind of say how you feel about it? I think you. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Okay, so I mean, like, here's this one kind of point I have to everybody else to kind of bring up, and kind of going back to like the the Jordan Veil of greatness. It was really cool to see and have it be reaffirmed that nothing was given to him. Like everything Michael Jordan got came through resolve and hard work. So if you weren't going to have the same kind of resolve there, it just, it wasn't going to work. So I, I think that like, you really have to focus in on the type of beast he was 
and the fact that it's his way or the highway. I mean, Scotty probably got the easiest of it because, you know, that's your second mate. And by the way, him saying Scotty Pippen's his, his best teammate ever. Well, no duh, Michael. I think he should have given more to that than his, like, who are you going to say? Tony, Tony Klukos, like who, who's better than, than Pippen. But like, just the fact that he really, really, really worked, came in without a jumper and proved people wrong. So I think when you do all of that, his way of motivation leaves very little to, to be questioned. Yeah, I thought, I thought like in, in regards to his motivation, one of the like kind of smack in the face reminders of why I was such a Michael Jordan fan came when he basically, you know, those those early years when he was limited to seven minutes a game. Um, to me, I understand both sides of the coin because, you know, it's business, right? I've worked in businesses where you can't go all out all the time for various reasons. And to hear Michael talk about how he felt so kind of, you know, just jaded and, and like slighted because he came to play to win. And if you weren't playing to win every time, then, you know, what are you even playing for? And, you know, saying that to the organization publicly in his early years was really, really kind of, uh, I guess, inspiring to me to, to, to remember hearing that about him, you know, when I was a kid, because, a lot of times in my life, um, you know, I've been in those positions where I'm the, I'm typically the guy that's like, you know, full throttle at all times. And for better or worse, like that's not how the world works. Right. Like I I see it and I'm like, you know, I need to slow down. I need to take a day off. I need to you know understand that. Like I don't move the saint at the same pace that most of the people that work in, you know, maybe a, a more traditional corporate job. Um, and that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you go into, you know, a job where you kind of come in as, as this person that's looking to like change the pace and up the tempo and, you know, create more content and, get people excited about what you're doing when you run into people, you know, that are thinking more strategically or more business, you know, focused rather than just like, let's do what we do. It can be really frustrating. So it was really kind of a reminder of, you know, that, that kind of understanding that you have to have in, you know, life where, you know, you, it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to go a hundred percent all the time when it could be detrimental for you to be going a hundred and hundred percent. And I also totally relate to Michael just being like, you know, you know, fuck this team. If they're not going to let me play, you know, to, to, to win. Right. Especially cause they were, you know, struggling, you know, to, to make the playoffs or whatever, or at least like in theory had a shot at one point. Right. But that was that was kind of a, a really interesting takeaway for me. 
But what's wild is that like nobody expected him to save the Bulls. Like nobody thought, and I thought it was really cool to have all the players. Uh, was it Mark Eaton was one of them? Say like, oh yeah, a guard can't you know make a real difference. He's so skinny. He's not that big. And it's like Mark Eaton. I'm pretty sure he destroyed you on many times when he entered the league. <laughs> yes, that was hilarious. But here's here's one of my hot takes. Um, for like the LeBron MJ comparison, especially after seeing this documentary and having everybody really emphasize the fact that he was unheralded coming into Chicago, the complete opposite happened for LeBron, right? LeBron went even at 16, couldn't take a piss without somebody wanting to know what's going on with it. So he came in expected to not only like turn around the Cavs, but you know, post Shaq and Kobe, I mean, they were still together, but it was the last year tail end. Like, who was going to be like the next thing? Like, who was going to revitalize the league, much like Michael revitalized the league in the '80s? And I think it's way harder to do all of what LeBron did with a fine microscope pointed at you than coming in as just some kid from UNC who is who's a good draft pick, but you know wasn't good enough to make Portland take another guard or wasn't good enough to really draw fear from his, you know, peer, I mean, from his inevitable peers, it was just really interesting to see how he was godly at the end, but coming in, he was just like, he was just another rookie. Like nobody thought anything of him and just the comparison and expectation between the two was just really interesting to me. Yeah. And that, that just shows like how um, I guess how different the league was in the sense of the position players because every at that point I mean you clearly everyone knows oh if you're just like they were saying in interviews with other players if you're not a center if you're not seven feet tall they don't think anything of you so when they drafted Jordan like eh they drafted Pippen eh and they ended up being just all time players but it's cool to see when you don't have that expectation on you when no one's like lurking behind every corner to see what you're doing, what you can accomplish. Cause I mean, I mean, I think it helped Michael Jordan not to have the pressure of the media on him, but still him wanting to win. So he had to, he had the, you know, mindset, I'm going to go in here and do everything I can to win, but there was no expectation on it. They're like, Oh, the bulls are going to suck regardless. So I think that was pretty awesome to see how that can differ. You know, this is not making like any, no excuses for any players, but players now going in, you know, every time they draft a player, oh, they're going to save our franchise. They're going to save it. What if sometimes they just didn't have that pressure on where they can go in and play ball? Like Mike went there and played ball. He balled out of his mind and he has six rings. I mean, clearly once you start getting rings, you start getting more pressure from the media and like fans on you. But he was able to build himself up to what he is. He had those first few years of like, oh, this guy is great. Still don't expect him to do anything because he's not a center, but he was able to work behind the scenes and show growth every game and become the legend that we see. But that's easier, right? Not having the expectation. A hundred percent easier. Yeah, you have you can go screw up. If he would have airballed the first fifteen shots when he was a rookie that first season, they would have been like, eh, okay. There would have been it wouldn't have been a news story. It would have been all oh, the Bulls lost. So I mean that happening, but then you have LeBron who was like, I would say 
maybe Zion now would, would, would rival the hype and just the, the coverage on him before he's in the league. But nobody had to deal with what LeBron had to deal with. I mean, like, Nick, what do you think? Do you think one one's better than the other or, like, MJ had it easier? I, what do you think? I mean, I I think that MJ had it so much easier in terms of, you know, the media and, and dealing with outside of basketball distractions, right? Like, I think that, you know uh, – I mean, just look at social media, right? Like if you use social media today, it's a distraction from your life in most cases. Like, you know, if you're lucky enough to figure out how to earn an income out of it some way and use it for that, then, you know, you could say that it's not. But primarily, if you're especially if you're an athlete, I should say, it's just a distraction. It's nothing but a distraction and it's only going to be problematic if you go down that path, not saying that they, that athletes and celebs shouldn't have social media, but you know, Jordan, Jordan didn't have cameras in his face in eighth grade, the way LeBron did. Like I watched LeBron play in eighth grade, like in, on TV, you know, like you, you can't, I, I mean, I don't even think Zion can compare to that, you know, like maybe because we do get to see it in all different platforms now, but you know, think about like even just LeBron playing, you know, Oak Hill on ESPN and, you know, playing Carmelo Anthony at what, 16 years old. Um, I mean, that kind of pressure, like, you know, LeBron never had a chance to be a kid, you know, and most of the time, if, if you were to throw that kind of pressure at somebody in, say, Hollywood or music, most of those people don't even survive. Like we see so many tragic early deaths because of the amount, the amount of stress and, and societal pressure on people that are public figures. So to me, there's no comparing, you know, like even, even looking at Kobe, looking at like someone like Garnett coming out of high school and all the conversation around that being one of the first to come out of high school as a, as a, like, as a draft pick that you expected to be successful Yes, like all of these guys dealt with immense pressure. And, you know, I don't think most people are cut out for the type of pressure that that, you know, these guys have dealt with. And I don't think, you know, most people are cut out for the pressure that comes with like, you know, even like college level athletics or or professional athletics, you know, to say the least. But when I think about that kind of stuff for LeBron, you know, it's almost like. I'm almost more impressed with him as a man than I am with what he's done on the court. And that's hard to even fathom, right? Because he's accomplished so much with Jordan. I think that he, I think that he did it the right way. You know, like you, he did it the right way for him. I should say he avoided a lot of that stuff, um, you know, and he avoided, a lot of the public scrutiny that would have come and did come later in his career. Right. But it's kind of interesting to say, like to show him and Danny Ainge playing golf the day before, uh, you know, game two and, you know, talking about gambling. And it's like, you can see the, the, that's one of the challenges for MJ that, you know, I don't think it compares to the, you know, 
the, the pressure of like social media and, you know, all the other things that come with being like public, a public figure since, you know, roughly ninth, 10th grade, most of the world knows about you. Most, most sports fans, I should say, know about you. But I did want to go back to one thing that you said, you know, it was interesting to see the guys like Mark Eaton and the big guys saying that, you know, that Jordan wouldn't be successful in the league. And I think it's important to, to kind of put that into perspective, right? Like, that's no different than what people said about Steph Curry. And that's why Steph Curry, you know, ended up playing for Davidson and, you know, like really like sliding into the league, super low key, right? People don't, didn't think that guards that, you know, guards could score back in the eighties, in the early eighties. And the same way that like three point shooting was not supposed to be as, you know, uh, prominent as it, as it is in today's game. But I do think it's important to, to note that this whole documentary is, is very much from a, you know, pro Jordan pro bulls perspective. And I'm sure, in fact, I'll find some links like as much as I love Michael Jordan and I love, you know, glorifying him in these early days and like what he did coming in with his gold chain and winning dunk contests and winning scoring titles and putting up 63 against the Celtics and, you know, setting all these records. He definitely got like beat pretty badly by a lot of the big men that, you know, like Mark Eaton for sure. And the jazz, like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, vouching for Mark Eaton. If you know my stance on, uh, big goofy white guys in the NBA, then you already know that I am not a fan of Mark Eaton in any way. And I'm also probably one of the, uh, one of the most hateful, uh, I, I shouldn't say hateful. One of the most, uh, anti Utah jazz fans, uh, fans. What do you call it? Haters? I don't know. I'm just a hater. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, there's truth to what to what those big guys are saying, but they also didn't understand the level of athletic ability that Jordan was bringing to the table. Right. Like he, he, they look at it as like, OK, this is this is somebody that's like Dr. J that can come in and, you know, he's skinny. We'll be able to beat him up and he won't be able to to score. And and that was probably right. Fifty percent of the time. Right. And eventually, just like Dr. J, just like guys like magic and Larry bird. It's like, okay, well the game isn't all about inside buckets and big men. There's gotta be a lot more movement, a lot more speed, a lot more athleticism than just like the baby jump hook, you know, from the seven foot six, you know, 300 pound dude. So, um, I just, I just think it's interesting because like the perspective on it is really, you know, uh, kind of obviously one-sided intentionally, but there were a lot of challenges for Jordan early on that like just society as a whole doesn't talk a lot about. No, that's so cool. You said that because throughout the doc, not throughout the documentary, but at various points they have like ESPN coverage and like news coverage, like what's going to happen to Scotty? Like basically trying to put chinks in the armor of the bulls and it's just like comical by how soft it is by today's standards. Like even like when LeBron is in Miami or um, James Harden's probably even a better example. 
Like we eat him up after every game, let alone after a championship. Like there's always a little bit of rustling after uh, somebody wins a championship, like what's going to happen. But it's kind of comical to see how they're phrasing it as like this. Everybody's questioning what they're going to do and if they're going to be able to win a sixth. But it's all really just like softball hate. It's like not very heavy. And um, I'm sure they'll go into it more once you open up the can of worms that is Dennis Rodman and kind of more of the Phil Jackson aspects. Um, I heard somewhere that episode three is more about Rodman. Episode four is about Phil. So, like, I'm sure it'll get more crazy and they'll go into the hotter um, news takes at the time. But people like you, Nick, who were, um, you know, sitting in front of the TV with their eyes glued, trying to find out what's going on with the Bulls, like – that's not at all the way sports are covered now. And it's just, it's, it's funny to see how quote unquote soft it was for a hard time on the court. I was just more amazed at going more to, towards the front office and leaving the players for a second, but kind of front office decides to tell Phil Jackson, I mean, I guess this is, this is known because literally it was in the, the news stories. Like, Hey, I don't care if you win another championship, we're going to blow it up. I've never understood that purpose and that thought process because if these you know these men are winning you championships for your organization, bringing in revenue for your team, bringing a, like a dynasty, that team's a, a dynasty. That GM was literally out of his mind. I mean, clearly you saw from the uh, the doc that people didn't like him, uh, players didn't like him, Phil didn't like him. Um, I mean, even owners like yeah, he just he liked him for his mind, but he kept getting in his own way. It just there. I'm hoping to get more into it, but they still did not give a reason on why they wanted to blow the team up. I don't know if he just wanted to see if they can do it again, or you know, I know they're thinking of the future of aging players, but with that team, if they just kept them intact, they weren't like falling apart by any means. Like Scotty was hurt, but he decided to do the surgery as kind of like. Hey, forget you. I'm going to go sit out. Like you say, I'm not ruining my summer because you, you decided to pay me in peanuts. Um, which on a side tangent, people said, Oh, players didn't do that back then. Clearly Scotty did, did that. But, um, yeah, I just, I just don't understand. I mean, I'm waiting to see that, that circus kind of unfold more as they get closer and closer to the championship. Once they start getting through the season more in, in the dock. But, um, I saw, Oh my God, I can't remember what I was looking at, but watching Space Jam, the the villains swag hammer, the, the like chubby little uh, guy who had them steal the players' uh, abilities. There was a joke going around that Michael Jordan had them uh, model him after the, the GM of the Bulls at the time. <laughs> I mean, I, so two things I want to touch on. One, I didn't mean to like dismiss different you know, generations of athletes in any way, right? Like, I think that the challenges of being a pro athlete at any time are tremendous. And I think that like, you know, we, we pick and choose the way that we kind of position our opinions on this, right? Like if you're a, if you're a, you know, a Pistons fan, you talk about how the league is soft today. That's why you don't like the game because you wanted to see people fighting. Right. But like, 
I could, I think anybody could dismantle anybody's arguments, whether you're, you know, a Jordan fan or a Piston fan, a Jazz fan, whatever. And it's always interesting because, like, I look at, like, the Pistons bad boys era as, like, that's really interesting to say that that was, like, the toughest era. But then you also have, like, the chaos of, you know, what, 10 years later, the, you know, the mouse at the palace thing where, you know, you've got NBA guys literally throwing punches up in the stands with fans. Like it's an, like it's old arch rivals video game. And to me that like, there's always challenges. It's always a struggle. And like the physical aspects of being a professional athlete are I'm not dismissing that in any way, but going back to kind of the dismantling of the team and, and Jerry Krause, you know, I think that as someone who, watched this all kind of unfold he was obviously always going to be the villain right he was the guy that was paid to be the business-minded person in a situation where nobody really wants a business-minded person like whether you're a fan of the bulls or whether you're getting beat by the bulls you probably want to see that that dynasty to its fullest potential right like you want to see them live it out. And I think that to think that dis- dismantling the team, you know, was like this, like him being cruel or being, you know, uh, you know, kind of like butthurt or, you know, short man's complex and all those things. I, I don't think that that's actually as valid as it's being portrayed. And I'm kind of just playing devil's advocate because he's one of the only people in this whole story who's passed away. Right. So he really has Mm -hmm. no way to stand up for himself. So it becomes the easy target for someone making this documentary, not saying that they intentionally did that, but like he becomes the one person that's not going to rebuke any of these, you know, kind of conversations around his personal problems. And obviously he had, you know, issues with all these guys, but like, that's the nature of being a GM in a, in an, in a professional sports team, right? Your job, you know, think about like, and the perfect example is actually in that, that episode or the first episode where Jerry Krause is not going to be a fan favorite. He's not going to be a player favorite. Those guys are picking on him as much as they possibly can, because they know that, at the end of the day, he's kind of like the internal enemy of the team. And for him to, for if you look at like his relationship with all of them, right? It's, it's, it's rocky to say the least all the way through with all these guys. And it's like that guy in the office that nobody likes, but you know, he's got to work there and you you're <laughs> go away. But also at the same time, you could give him a lot of credit because he is absolutely necessary in that whole situation because he's the guy that's got to say Charles Oakley's got to go, or he's the guy that's got to say, we got to get Dennis Rodman. Like those are things that ultimately make this the dynasty that it is. And yeah, he's going to make poor decisions. Sometimes he's going to be an asshole to you. Sometimes you guys are going to be an asshole to him. But to fully villainize him, I don't think is the right way to tell his story. Um, not to say that like 
he didn't do plenty of things that deserve to be villainized. And obviously he comes across that way in all these things. And I think his delivery on a lot of that stuff is what made it so difficult for a lot of these guys to even be around him or work with him. Um, but it's really kind of fascinating to see the dynamic and how that works from a business perspective, because, you know, it, it, nobody wants to be, nobody wants to be the guy, the, the guy that says, Hey, this is a business when you're, you know, watching people play basketball, right? Like, even if you're, even if your team is mediocre, you don't want to trade people, especially people you work with and, and, you know, live with on a daily basis for nine months out of the year. So I think that it's really fascinating. And I had heard that story, uh, you know, like about Space Jam, like actually way back in the day when it came out and it was, it was actually funny to, I think I saw probably a similar meme or whatever that popped up, um, in the last couple of days because of this documentary, but it's, it's, it's definitely fascinating and it's cool that it's bringing up all these kind of old stories that I had long forgotten. Scotty needs to go back and slap Oakley's ass back. That was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it's just funny. because like people now like to bring up how Oakley was a tough guy. Nobody's going to slap him back. I think that's like the real telling part of the, of the Oakley lore. Yeah. But how much of a tough guy are you? If you're picking on a rookie, I don't know, man. <laughs> your point not very tough but he was michael's protector so if you mess with somebody it's like it's like messing with your little brother right so it's like you're oh, the yeah. tough guy you know if you're a little brother you're still the, you're, you're a different kind of tough guy but the, the opponent it's a whole nother kind yeah man i mean i mean i'm the nicest guy in the world until you mess with my brother <laughs> see there you go uh, so parting, parting shots, what was, what was your most surprising moment from these first two episodes and what are you most looking forward to as we move forward in, in this last dance documentary? Uh, my most, I guess the most surprising part was the Scotty part. I didn't know so much about his contract. That was, uh. That was insane. Like seven years, I can't remember the dollar amount. It was dirt cheap. Um, but I'm just hoping to see more about the uh, the interaction between players. Um, I feel like they're, they're, they're starting kind of to eke into that a bit, but I feel like they're trying to do introductions of all like the key players or key members of the team first. But I want to see how their you know big three interacted because I've you know hear some glimpses about. MJ and Robin not getting along. So I want to see how that all meshed. And um, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm looking forward to. Here's some sarcasm. Michael Jordan couldn't shoot. When he came to shoot. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, which is kind of wild because that was a big knock on, knock on my guy LeBron, but whatever. Um, I'm excited to see um, what actually any kind of footage on Dennis Rodman and his crazy antics. I feel like the sound bites are there. The quotes are there, but video wise, 
It's just like him throwing his jersey off, getting ejected at various places in his career and wearing the wedding dress. I want to see some like good Dennis Rodman weirdness. Yeah, I'm with you. So I yeah. I think the the most surprising thing for me was uh, the footage of the trip to Paris and playing uh, the Bulls playing in, in Paris. And um, I'm looking forward to more stuff like that. But also the Dennis Rodman stuff is, I think, probably the most the most uh, anticipated for me because the world was so much less accepting accepting of the world was so much less accepting of his you know antics back then, where you know today we have a lot of people that do things that are not traditional, right? So you see it on YouTube, you see it on social media. So it'll be interesting to see how, how crazy it really comes across. Um, Cause I think a lot of the stuff is probably not near as crazy as it's played up to be other than the fact that he was an NBA player. Obviously he was, you know, completely an anomaly in that sense because everybody else kind of fit a stereotypical sports model. But that said, uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of it. You know, it's going to be really interesting to watch it all. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, everybody that's out there listening is is watching it and um, kind of enjoying these memories and would love to hear what everybody thinks of it. It's it's, you know, really fascinating to have all of the kind of timing of everything and us being stuck at home and um, have it come out now without sports because, I think it's uh, it's really a cool it's a cool way for us to kind of bridge the gap until things get back to a place where we can have sports. But um, anyway, thank you all for listening. Uh, my name is Nick Engvall. You can follow me at Nick Engvall on all platforms. More importantly, just follow at Sneaker History everywhere. And guys, let them know how they can find you. Yep, Mike Guillory. You can find me there on YouTube. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at MadWatcher789. Robbie, where can they find you, buddy? You can find me at LeBron James is still bigger, stronger, faster, and smarter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see what happens next. <laughs> my cat's trying to give you her Instagram, but this is not working. <laughs> Small town Tony on TikTok. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate everybody listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace. See you. Bye. Hey everyone, this is Nick again. Before you take off, I wanted to ask a couple favors of you. If you're interested in more content from the Sneaker History crew, become a member of our Patreon page where we post daily content, drop exclusive episodes, and host monthly giveaways. We'll even help you hunt for your grails. Check us out at patreon.com slash sneakerhistory. Also, make sure you sign up for our email newsletter at sneakerhistory.com slash email. We send out weekly updates on the footwear business and what we're working on here at Sneaker History. Last but not least, take a second to tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how much it means to someone, and it might even plant the seeds for something even bigger. As always, we appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question, and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. 
If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.